Welcome, everybody. Um, this is now our fourth podcast in um, what is it, a four-part series. We hope the beginning of many more. Mm-hmm. Um, these uh, podcasts, again, are um, intended basically for anyone in the healthcare workforce. But we keep saying, and I'm going to say it again, this is good stuff for anybody. If you have a nervous system, this stuff is good. <laughs> um, so please pass it on. Share the info. Um, I'm Jama. Uh, I am a resilience educator and do contract work for Area LA Heck. And this is uh, Victor, and I also do resilience contracting work for Resources for Resilience and ROI. What's that? What's ROI? Rural, Rural Opportunities, Opportunities Institute. Institute. Uh-huh. All right. Um, so we're talking about secondary and vicarious trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to start with a couple of um, definitions. Uh, first of all, understand that we very frequently use these two terms, secondary traumatic stress or secondary trauma and vicarious trauma interchangeably, but there are some subtle differences, and I'm going to sort of go over that. Um, Secondary traumatic stress is the emotional duress that results when an individual hears about the firsthand trauma experiences of another. So this is not trauma that's happening to Victor, right? He's not in a car wreck. This is Victor hearing about something or seeing something. Um, This kind of trauma and this kind of response to it can occur suddenly and unexpectedly. Um, An example might be hearing emotionally shocking details, right, of perhaps a sexual assault from a patient or a client. You know, this is a routine follow-up visit, and all of a sudden you're hearing this horrific details of this event, right? That can be a trauma for the therapist, right? That's Mm -hmm. a secondary Mm -hmm. trauma or secondary traumatic stress. Um, Vicarious trauma, again, frequently used interchangeably, but the original definition emphasizes that there is a profound shift in worldview that frequently is seen in helping professionals when they work over and over with individuals who have experienced trauma. Mm -hmm. It's a range of negative consequences that can result from working or volunteering with victims of trauma and violence. It typically happens sort of more slowly and over time. An example might be a person who works in a domestic violence shelter who begins to not trust their relationship with a partner or even to begin to believe that no relationship is trustworthy. Um, A child abuse investigator who begins to not trust anyone who comes near their child, begins to believe that their child is is never safe, right? Um, That shift in what the world looks like because of having seen over and over and over again these examples of trauma and violence and stress. Does that make sense? It does make sense. It's really interesting. I'm glad to hear the distinction between secondary trauma and um, vicarious trauma had not thought of it that way. Yeah, and it's it they they I I can see that they're interchangeable in a lot of instances, but you can see that that second difference. And I think the key part is that um, I watched George Floyd's death on mm-hmm. right 
mm-hmm. on the TV. Um, but but maybe that didn't change how I see about the world, right? Maybe the vicarious trauma is the fifth time I've watched somebody die on a camera. Mm-hmm. And I begin to, to think, okay. This I isn't just a one-time event. This, uh, or this is not call a safe a one-off, But this is more of a characteristic of a broader environment. And my view of that environment has yeah. changed. Okay. I used to feel safe in a mall, and now I don't. Right. Right. So right. it's a it's a it's a different kind of response to a trauma that involves that change in worldview. Um, so I'm going to toss it to you to talk about what happens with these secondary and vicarious traumas. <clears throat> okay. So when it comes to secondary and vicarious trauma, part of our Physical makeup is that we have something called mirror neurons, which means that uh, we have specialized cells in our brains that pick up on what other people feel. So if I see a person fall down, my body may jump. My body may, may react, even though I'm watching another person have this experience. Um, when it comes to hearing about somebody else's traumatic experience, my body may seize up. I may feel the muscles in my body tense as a response to hearing about that. And then, of course, as Jamie was just sharing, when it comes to vicarious trauma and an actual shift in a worldview, then it really becomes a part of my body so that even as I move into places that may on the outside look safe, my body may have a response as if it's not, because my worldview has actually changed. It's not about the individual situation, but rather my sense of the environment has now been changed. So what I described as far as going through my day and then having a run-in with a secondary or vicarious trauma response may be that my body experiences what we call a jolt to the nervous system, which can be like a shock, moving my body out of a place where it can be resilient and connected with other people to bouncing into feeling amped up with really high energy or shut down with really low energy. So I may have feelings of anger or tightness or anxiety as a response, as my body is responding to what has happened to another person or is happening to another person. Or my body may move into a state of shutdown, losing energy, feeling fatigued, feeling sick on my own stomach, again, in response to what someone else is going through or what they are telling me about. So they can also look like me walking away from that situation, having difficulty with my emotions. I might be on edge and I can take that on edge feeling and response home with me or or really just stepping right outside the office. And, you know, just thinking about this as a therapist and not knowing that my nervous system was recording these 
hurtful experiences of other people. I remember going to um, from my office to to the office depot, which is in the next block. And I was having this conversation with a friend that I hadn't seen in a long time. We just ran into each other out in the parking lot. And some random person basically came up and challenged me out of the blue. I didn't know this person from anything else. He basically was, yeah, just moving into my space. And my body lit up. It lit up. And, but instead of moving away from this person, I actually moved towards this person kind of aggressively. And now that you're mentioning this, Jama, I'm thinking about my body kind of being on edge. And I was a lot closer to going offline (laughs) than I knew that I had even considered. And I went just from this wonderful you know, warm conversation with the old friend to this state of definitely all fight in this moment. And as I think about it now, and it took me a long time to cool cool off from that situation. I'm going to say maybe several weeks. Um, I'm really thinking about the level of vicarious and secondary trauma that I was carrying in my body that lit my nervous system up so overwhelmingly and how long it took for my nervous system to settle down to the point that I could really process what had happened and even to think about how easy it would have been to simply walk away from this person, create some distance and be totally safe. But that was not what happened in that moment. So um, what you're saying there really brings up some interesting processing for me yeah. in this moment. Yeah. And it's, um, I mean, one of the things we know is that these these stress responses can happen without our really even knowing them. Mm-hmm. And we're sometimes not completely all the way offline, but that chronicity, we're kind of a little bit always offline, Mm. that much closer to being, right? I think about the pandemic, um, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people, myself included, didn't feel like the world was safe for two years, right? So we were maybe always a little bit at halfway to fight or flight. Um, And I think for folks who get a lot of secondary and vicarious trauma, it can be the same kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and I think one of the key things to remember here is that this is, this is not something we can control, right? It's not that you're a bad therapist. It's not that you're a bad person and that there's something is wrong with you. Mm-hmm. You are having, experiencing vicarious and secondary trauma mm-hmm. and your body is doing what it's programmed to do in that kind of situation. Um, the, the key is learning how to manage it, Right. Well, the first key is is recognizing it. What is it? I can't remember who says it, but if you can name it, you can name it. Um, Yeah. Um, And again, understanding that some of these feelings that we get when we notice this in ourselves, um, that the things like bystander guilt, um, feeling self-doubt, 
uh, a lot of these things are natural consequences of ongoing stress and trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else? No. No, that's okay. um, good coverage. Yeah. I loved um, the mirror neurons. Uh, anyway, so, so I'm going to go over another, um, another term, um, and this is compassion fatigue. Um, this is one of the consequences um, kind of specifically related to folks who are experiencing secondary and vicarious trauma. Um, and it, it, it refers to that overwhelming mental, physical, and spiritual exhaustion that's brought on by feeling the pain the stress, the intense emotions of the people we may be trying to help. The compassion fatigue part of it is that it typically involves a reduced capacity for empathy and sympathy for clients or patients or whoever we may be working with. That almost numbness. Um, Mm -hmm. And again, the things to know are that that this is the result of, of this ongoing trauma it's not that you're suddenly a bad therapist or a bad nurse because you, you can no longer, you hear the story again and you're just like, oh, let's just get over this. Yeah. Right? It's not that you don't care, but rather that your care circuits are kind of burned right. out. Like, they're That's fried. right. <laughs> um, through no yeah. fault of yours and right. honestly through your body's attempts yes. to keep itself safe. Right. And to keep itself going. Yeah. Keep itself yeah. going. Yeah. Amazing, so, amazing capacity for to compensate, but it can look different over time. Yeah. So tell us about burnout. Okay. So burnout. Burnout that a lot of us have experienced. And I've, I have both hands raised right now, y'all. There. <laughs> Matter of fact, I became introduced to this work. As a result of being in a state of burnout and knowing that I had to do something else, otherwise uh, my family was not going to eat. So burnout is a state of physical, mental, and emotional exhaustion caused by long-term involvement in emotionally demanding situations. So long-term involvement in emotionally demanding situations. Here's the thing, though. Burnout is closely related to PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, which we often associate with maybe a single event or a series of traumatic events, but it's still the same circuits. The same circuits are being activated, hyperstimulated, um, worn out. And so burnout and PTSD are very closely related to each other. And as a result, we lose our ability to fully connect with other people in healthy ways. So what did we do? Well, the things that we've already started talking about are a big part of uh, re-nurturing our nervous systems so that we are more resilient and so that we build healthier ways of relating to ourselves and to other people. So we have something that we're going to call the ABCs of managing secondary trauma. And 
the A stands for awareness. Becoming more aware of our physical sensations, of our emotional states, as well as more aware of what is affecting us and how. So that goes for the, the good stuff and the not so good stuff. So becoming reacquainted with our own nervous system so that we're noticing what's happening around us. The B is for balance. <clears throat> How are we creating balance in our lives? Balance in our nutrition, balance in our rest, balance in our physical activity, balance in our relationships, because our relationships affect us greatly. Are our relationships balanced? Are we cool with cool people? <laughs> are, we, are, we, are we really making time for those people that are, good, that are good for us? And are we being real with ourselves about folks that are not good for us? And that can also be various environments that we're in. So having a balance in our life is also really important. And connection. Connection in so many different ways. We've been talking about the connection of our brains and our bodies, uh, the connection of our, the way that we relate to each other, uh, connecting with healthy things, ha healthy activities. So paying attention to all of these things, what we're gonna call the ABCs of managing secondary trauma are super important to how we move forward with our health and taking better care of ourselves. So. Um, and I, I'm going to throw this out. I don't, I don't know when you, who, uh, when our listeners might, might be listening to this, but as we are recording it, earlier this week, the U.S. Surgeon General released an advisory about the ec epidemic in our country mm -hmm. of isolation. Mm-hmm loneliness mm -hmm. and loss of connection. Um, it's a very interesting read. If, if you haven't heard it yet, um, look it up. Uh, yeah, it's real. It's real. Very. So I think we're out of time. Okay. Um, hopefully we, there will be future podcasts um, and we can learn more tools because um, we have plenty of them. Um, and understand what self-care is um, and how to manage that secondary and vicarious trauma um, and manage our nerve systems. Anything else? Nope. Just really happy to be here with you, Jayma. This has been a delight. I'm looking forward to many more. Yes, yes. Um, thanks for listening. I uh, hope to have you next time. Jayma. And this is Victor.